Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Joanna, and welcome back to Work in Progress, our personal productivity podcast. So on today's topic, we are going to be talking about coping with job burnout. So job burnout has become a common issue that many people struggle with as a part of work-related stress and can impact people on a daily basis. It can also be a massive hindrance on our ability to maximize productivity when we're feeling emotionally or physically exhausted. But today I'll be joined by Joyce Lowe to talk about how we can use some different strategies to recognize burnout red flags and some of those early signs so we can protect our productivity So Joyce joins us from Singapore and she is a qualified personal professional life coach, counselling and art therapist. She also works in an impressive variety of settings, including with people dealing with workplace burnout, trauma, grief, addiction and other mental health conditions, just to mention a few. Joyce employs a client-centered, strengths-based, integrative and flexible approach, combining different therapies to her therapy sessions. Hi, hi, Joyce. It's so lovely to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so firstly, I'd love if you could introduce yourself a bit more with just a bit about who you are and what it is you do. Oh, well, I'm a psychotherapist in practice here um, in Singapore. So I work with uh, youths, adults, and I've also worked with uh, seniors, elderly people, um, dealing with a whole range of um, conditions and uh, issues. So I'm I'm also a um, psychodynamic art psychotherapist. So I bring um, the creative arts and creative expressions into my therapy sessions with my uh, clients. Amazing. I'm really curious about art therapy, actually. Can you tell me how you bring in those sort of creative elements into your sessions? Now, oftentimes, um, there might be certain experiences where it's actually beyond words. It's too difficult to express verbally, and sometimes there are just no words to express um, those emotions or those experiences. And that's where art therapy comes in, because it gives the the individual these another means to express themselves um, it, in a more in a creative way. So the person doesn't necessarily have to be artistically um, inclined. So it's not about uh, art and craft. It's not about producing pretty or beautiful uh, pieces, but it's really about giving expression to whatever they may be feeling. So art therapy basically is that. Amazing. And I know you use a strengths-based integrative approach. Can you tell me a bit more about that and maybe some of the other variety of therapies you use as well? Hmm. So in terms of strengths-based, I think it's it's very important to, to recognize that um, each individual will have their own store of own resource, right? This is what we call their strength. And because oftentimes when they're dealing with say a, a mental health issue it can be very um it can be very depressing you can and especially um it can be once it becomes medicalized there's uh pathologizing right so it becomes almost like um a deficit or something that's defective about you so in therapy what i do at least is that i would like to focus on what the client or the individual is able to do in order to help themselves. So they learn to identify their own resources, both external and internal, and they learn how to access and tap onto these resources to help with their own recovery and their healing. 
So I combined it um, with our therapy as well. So they begin to realize that they have these, this creative um, resource as well, this ability to be creative, to be expressive. And that helps with the um, healing, that helps with the restoring uh, of their, the, the issue that they may be facing. Amazing. That's such a complex approach as well. And considering that you have so many different therapies you use and you've built this like arsenal of different tools and things you can help people with, how do you go about identifying which therapy to use for different clients? I think that's why it's, it's so important to, you know, in your toolkit to have as many tools as possible because you never know, uh, you know, the individuals or the clients that you, you see. Um, so we need to, what we call the client fit is very important. So uh, which particular framework or which particular therapy may work best for the client, right? So if you have a variety of uh, frameworks or therapies, then um, in the moment, whichever is appropriate, then the, the therapist will have to uh, access that and use that in the session. Yeah, and do you ever find that sometimes you have to try more than one therapy with a certain client? Oh, for sure, for sure. And the great thing is there's a lot of uh, flexibility and of course the therapist needs to be very uh, flexible as well and nimble in that sense to be able to recognize, okay, maybe this particular framework or therapy is not quite working with the client. We can try something else, right? And I think, but regardless of what therapy or what framework that we're using, the most important is really the therapeutic relationship. Or that sense that the, the client, you know, the client has that this therapist is a person who understands, who is empathetic, who is able to uh, hold my difficult uh, experiences, my difficult emotions, and able to give me that safe space to just be myself and maybe a safe space to start my healing and my recovery. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, we now have a section called, Have You Met Joyce? So I'd love to ask you some more personal get to know you questions. Um, so with this section, I will say a few key words and all you have to do is just share the first thing that comes to mind. So my first one for you is books. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I've never had that response before. Um, how about like a favorite book? So <laughs> slow. Maybe look. Okay, I'm currently reading. Um, I'm currently reading Meister Eckhart's uh, collected poems. I'm not sure whether you've you've heard of them. No, I haven't. Hart. Yeah. You, have you heard of Eckhart Tolle? The Power of Now. Yes, I think I have. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. Um, the inspiration or I, I, don't, I don't know whether I can say this, but the inspiration behind uh, Eckhart Tolle's uh, work and his growth as a spiritual um, guru, if you like, is really this this person who lived, I think, in the 12th or 13th century called Meister Eckhart. Meister basically means master in German, and his name is Eckhart. So he, he, he writes a lot on about um, spiritual contemplation. So this is a book I've been reading. Okay, um, do you mind sharing a couple details with this? Because I haven't personally gotten into books that deal with like topics on spirituality, so I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. So um, so if for anyone who might be interested to go deeper into this area of spiritual contemplation, so there, there are a few names out there, right? If you, you want to read up more, and I'm currently reading um, Richard Raw as well. Um, there's uh, Meister Eckhart's uh, writings. And if you're particularly keen on things like meditation, mindfulness, and Zen, and there's Thich Nhat Hanh that I would highly recommend as well. Amazing. Thank you for sharing those with us. My next one for you is movies. Is there anything that you're watching at the moment or do you have a favorite movie at all? Uh, not quite movies, but I think now, sometimes when, when we watch things, uh, at least for me, uh, even as a, a therapist, right, I know that uh, we do this as a form of escapism, as a way of perhaps de-stressing. Now, es escaping is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just it's just one, one way. Uh, uh, it's just a coping mechanism, really. So mm. there's nothing, you know, that 
that's too bad about escaping into you know watching movies or Netflix and things like that. Um, but I do I do like watching older uh, dramas, older series, like things like as far back as perhaps even the 1980s or even the 1990s. Somehow this there's this feeling, this this nostalgic feeling, perhaps I don't know where the footage is like. It's not high definition and it's still very grainy and all that, but it's it's just very comforting. And I I do um, I do have a particular affinity for British drama. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you mind sharing a couple maybe of your favorite shows? Oh, uh, well, there's a series that's very very old. I think probably in the 1970s or 80s called All Creatures Great and Small. It's about a, a vet. Uh, an mm-hmm. animal doctor that's practicing in the uh, Yorkshire Dales. So it's it's amazing scenery, right? With all the, the Yorkshire Dales and all that. That's, yeah, that's something that I've I've been watching. Um, wow. Yeah. And I, I, I like uh, British uh, comedies as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I actually have been watching, a, I think, a couple British comedies. Um, have you heard of Fleabag? I'm pretty sure that one's a British... Oh. Yeah. Unless no. it's like from the 1980s or early 90s, perhaps. Oh, okay. No, I definitely think it's from this century. So you might have not heard of it, but that's like a good comedy one. Um, but yeah, I definitely should get into more of the older shows. I also have more of an affinity for like things made in the 21st century, which is bad. I feel like I should diversify um, and be more open with that stuff. But um, yeah, I guess we can learn from each other, which would be nice. Um, perfect. So my next one for you is podcasts. Do you listen to podcasts at all? Not ter- not not a whole lot. No, I I'm very much a person who is perhaps I'm from a different century, right? A different generation. <laughs> yeah. I do prefer uh, a more tactile <laughs> approach to yeah. rich acquisition. So even you know the reading of books, um, I know I can I can get my books online and all that, but it's just something like I I just need to feel the paper on my skin, um, yeah, to, to feel that connection. So no, I do not watch a lot of podcasts, unfortunately. That's okay. I can definitely relate to wanting to read like a physical book because I used to read a lot of my books online and just have it on my iPad, but I felt that it wasn't as satisfying as it is holding a book and like like flipping through the pages and actually finishing it and yeah. being able to put that physical book aside. I feel like I love that process. It's a very sensorial experience as well, right? Um, and and this ties back to even art therapy as well. Um, you know, one of the exercises or one of the things that we we sometimes do in art therapy is to to invite a client to create a book or to create books. So you can start with just creating one page and things like that, and you compile it, or you can create a book by itself, and then you start filling in the pages. So that's that's. I think the the. I think the reason why I prefer to, you know, I prefer hard copy books is, is really, yeah, that the whole sensation of feeling that, that material, that matter, and then it's like putting it away and then maybe just stacking it up sometimes, you know, it's very interesting mm. to see the stack of books or whatever. So there's, there's, it's almost like a ritual to, and it's not just uh, knowledge acquisition, it's not just for entertainment, but there's something even therapeutic about it. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's something very gratifying about seeing books stack up or a bookshelf being filled as opposed to like, you know, an iPad or a Kindle just being filled with lots of books and taking up storage that's more, you know, online and in the cloud or whatever. Um, so, and yeah. And that to your eyes as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I'm more gentle. Yes. 100%. Perfect. So my last one for you is famous role models. I feel like a famous role model can be a tricky one for some people because they don't have someone famous they look up to. So it could even be someone in your own life. Well, I don't know whether you can call her a role model, but definitely I mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, for okay. those who may not have heard of him, Thich Nhat Hanh is, um, was a, a uh, I call it a Zen, Zen priest who passed away, I think, a year or two ago and uh, I'm not sure whether to call him a role model but definitely his his teachings are very wise <laughs> and they um, and in fact I, I do uh, I practice um, 
mindfulness, I practice his, his teachings and the principles that he, he, um, that he teaches, I bring them into my therapy sessions as well, because it's something that's worked for me and it's something that I like to share with my clients. Um, so I suppose you can call it a role model and, uh, or someone that I, I do look up to in that sense. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I definitely think you can call him a role model, if especially if you look up to him and you find inspiration in his work as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I think we can jump right into our interview questions now. So my first one for you is how would you personally define productivity? Oh, sorry. Productivity or burnout? <laughs> Product- productivity. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's, what, what's the official definition of productivity? It's like output over time or something like that? Perfect. So I'll get straight into our interview questions now. So my first one for you is how would you personally define personal productivity? Well, I understand productivity as um, output over time, a certain stipulated or limited time. So that's, that's my rather simplistic way of understanding productivity. And I suppose a lot of people do bring in ideas and notions of efficiency as well related to productivity, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that if we're looking at personal definitions of productivity, everyone has their own definition of it because everyone sees productivity in a different way. The way I'm productive may not be the way that you're productive. So I feel like there is probably a more scientific definition but I think it's really great to put it in context of how you know individuals view productivity as well so thank you for sharing that one with us um moving into burnout how would you define burnout well burnout is is um is this extended state of mental emotional and physical exhaustion um and the key word is extended or prolonged or sustained uh state of exhaustion right and this exhaustion covers all the major areas of one's life the physical the emotional uh and the mental as well so this is burnout burnout can stem well we are usually um accustomed to hearing talking about burnout in the context of the workplace but burnout can also stem from relationships it can stem from even familial um contexts like caregiving um and um, so it's caregiving or caretaking, um, parenting. So it's not necessarily confined to just the workplace when we're talking about burnout. Although I, I do uh, acknowledge that in the context of today, what we're talking about, this is likely uh, related more to the workplace because we're talking about burnout and productivity, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's actually a really great point you bring up because often when we do think of burnout, we're like job or like workplace burnout but I think it's really important to consider how a variety of other aspects of our life can contribute to burnout and we can feel overwhelmed stressed and anxious by different elements in our life so I think that's a really great point to bring up and something we can weave through our entire discussion as well but considering these two definitions we've now brought up so for productivity and burnout uh, why is job burnout an important topic to discuss in the context of productivity do you think? Well, for sure, once a person is feeling exhausted, that means when you're feeling so utterly depleted, there's no way you'll be able to squeeze out any output or whatever output that you're squeezing out that you're you're managing to produce is going to be so minuscule, right? And you're taking, you're going to need a lot of time to just produce that little bit of output. So that's going to impact productivity. And this is, I think, uh, something that Uh, workplaces and employers need to uh, pay attention to. Yeah, for sure. So would you say if you're in your workplace and it's taking you an extended amount of time to complete a task that normally you would find easier to complete or would take a shorter amount of time, would you say that that's a sign of burnout? Just by itself, not necessarily, right? So it's the the person himself uh, needs to assess and understand himself uh, is the reason why I'm taking so long to just complete this piece of work, whatever. Is it because I'm so exhausted, I'm not able to, to, to work, or could it be just I don't know my my job, right? I I maybe I'm 
it's a poor fit or I'm incompetent or I need more resources. So there are there could be many reasons behind uh, productivity issues, but burnout could be one. And if you, you want to trace it, it has to um, lead back to the question of exhaustion, right? When you're so exhausted, when you're so depleted that you're just, yeah, you're just, you're just scraping the barrel. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned this idea of awareness as well. So why is it essential for individuals to be able to identify, you know, early signs of burnout themselves and of maybe of others? Yeah, I think early detection um, and self-awareness is is very important because I have seen um, cases where the the person is 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 working so hard and um, has reached a point of burnt out, yet is still not aware of it. And when it's not addressed, uh, it's not. Well, we try to address it early and catch it early, right? But if it isn't, what happens is that there may be other uh, mental health conditions that would start um, showing up. It's not unheard of for people uh, suffer from burnout to subsequently develop things like depression, generalized anxiety disorder, or even PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from burnout itself, all right? And of course, um, in very extreme cases, you would, you, would, you would even have people who um, start to express uh, suicide ideation because they just feel so trapped, they feel so alone, and they feel so hopeless in the whole situation. So recognizing the signs early um, will help you access and get the necessary help. Yeah, and what are some of those early signs? Okay, so as I mentioned, there is the exhaustion that um, covers the mental, the emotional, the, the physical. So the early signs will crop up in these areas as well. So let's just talk about perhaps the, the easiest to spot this in terms of, say, physiologically, the physical signs would be um, the high levels of stress will start affecting your immunity. So you might find that you, you fall sick more easily, right? Uh, you come down with colds or flus more, more easily, and then you stay sick for a longer period, so you're not able to recover so quickly. Um, it's not uncommon as well for people who are experiencing burnout to, have, to face difficulties with sleep either sleep onset uh, and or sleep maintenance, meaning the ability to stay asleep. So we'll have insomnia cropping up, right? You will have headaches, tension headaches. Um, reflux or gastric issues is also very common uh, and other intestinal or gut issues like uh, IBS, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, some people might find that they are Immunity is affected, so they start breaking out, say, in hives or allergies um, and such. So notice what's happening in your body. Your body is trying to tell you something, right? Uh, it's probably trying to tell you that, hey, the stress levels are very, very high right now. I'm not coping. Please help. Please do something. So uh, physiologically, this is what you're going to see. Of course, emotionally as well, you're going to see um, irritability. Um, being um, finding it harder to control your your temper, being easily triggered, whether at work or at home or other uh, social contexts, um, there would be also you might also catch yourself feeling more cynical, less optimistic, and basically even detached from whatever is happening in the workplace, feeling as if one, um, whatever I do, it's not going to make a difference, or two, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I don't give a hoot about whatever is happening. So we've heard the term, the uh, quiet quitting. I think quiet mm. quitting is, is not a sign of burnout. Actually, quiet quit quitting is mm, more likely a coping mechanism, a way to counter burnout. So um, it's just my hypothesis, but I think people who are quiet quitters are not the ones who will experience burnout. Yeah, and I feel like it must be really hard sometimes for people to acknowledge or even admit that they are experiencing burnout. So what are some of the challenges people might face when they're trying to accept that they are, you know, going through a stage of you know, yeah. like job burnout? 
I think one, of course, is, is the sense of self-personaling is um, how you perceive yourself. For some people, they have difficulties accepting that uh, I'm not I'm not coping well, uh, I'm burning out because that then affects their sense of uh, uh, maybe their self-esteem, their self-worth, thinking that somehow um, I'm, I'm inferior to other people. Why is it that my other colleagues seem to be able to function, but I'm not? So that difficulty of accepting that I need help, right? The second thing it could very well be the environment itself. It could be that the bosses, the superiors are not sympathetic or they are not, uh, they don't listen to the staff. Um, feedback, whatever feedback that, that's given is dismissed, not addressed, not attended to. So the, the environment itself, the workplace environment plays a big part um, in either being a hindrance or actually facilitating uh, the the individual seeking help. Yeah, for sure. And what if one aspect, so for example, your workplace is in an environment that helps facilitate um, mitigating, you know, those effects of job burnout, what should, you know, the person do in those situations? I think, firstly, where possible, find a sympathetic colleague or someone in the workplace who who is sympathetic and can provide a listening ear. It could be a peer, could be, or if you're you're fortunate enough, a, a superior or you know, just someone in the workplace, right? But um sometimes it's not possible, right? It could be that the the environment is such that people don't don't connect. Um and so if that's not possible, then you do have to look elsewhere you might have to seek professional help um you need also so to to spend some time really to to work on yourself and to really ask um is this what is this what i want out of this job what does this job mean to me right um and ask such questions difficult as they are does not necessarily mean that uh we we are a failure or whatever if anything at all I think it's it's important to have these kind of uh, honest and crucial conversations with ourselves, so that you we reassess, reevaluate where we are, and sometimes we just need to make some changes, some necessary changes in our lives. Yeah, for sure. And how can we go about being better at keeping ourselves accountable? for acknowledging that we're going through a tough time because I feel like nowadays we're living in such a fast-paced world in a such fast-paced environment where people are constantly on the go and work life is a big part of everyone's life. So how can we be okay with taking a step back sometimes and realizing that, okay, maybe I am overworking or I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed right now and I really need to take some time to myself? You need to prioritize, I suppose, what's important and what's truly valuable to you. Um, and sometimes it's, it's not it's not about the money. Maybe it's not about the, the fame or the recognition. But oftentimes, if we are functioning at this level where all we see is the money, all we see is the position or the recognition, then we continue to operate and stay at this level. And that's where we're, we're going to like, before we know it, we might hit burnout right? And, and we're blindsided by it. So it's, it's good to, to, to always step back and to, to just, you know, practice what I call self-therapy, if you like, to, to attend to yourself, to set aside the me time, prioritize that, ring fence that, because that is so important. Your mental health, your well-being, your, your physical health is, is more important than anything else. It is, you own it. No one else will your boss is not going to own it for you. Mm. You have to own it yourself, right? So if it's something that's important enough to you, you have to step back, prioritize that, ring fence that. That means you protect it at all costs. There will always be another job waiting for you. Yeah, for sure. And I feel yeah. like it comes back to this idea of putting yourself before, you know, your others or, you know, other things as well in your life. And it's really important to prioritize yourself, but sometimes... It's hard to do that when you feel like your job is your entire life or something like that. So I feel like there is this tension and conflict when it comes to dealing with this type of, you know, issue in our life. Yeah, that is, it's quite interesting that you phrased that, Joanna, because um, 
without breaching confidentiality, I, I had a client who came to see me with, I think, burnt out issues. And after after a few sessions, he, he said that he realized that um, work is not like. So when he came to that realization, just a very simple realization, but it's that light bulb moment. Work is not life. And that was when he was able to to make some really important and crucial decisions to step back and um, to just reevaluate and reassess the direction that he was taking. And then he felt that, you know, he had allowed the work to, to occupy such a big part of his waking moments, uh, such a big part of his life that the important things were just crowded out. And that was the that wasn't what he wanted. So he began to reevaluate and reassess. I think he's, he's in a much better place now. Yeah, well, that's really good to hear. And I feel like sometimes as you know, tragic and sad as it is, we need to reach that breaking point in order to come to, you know, those smaller realizations that, you know, work is not life and, you know, similar things like that. And I feel like through adversity, we grow and we become more resilient and, you know, more productive as well, because we know how to better use our time and our resources to benefit ourselves and where we want to take ourselves in the future. Yes, yes, for sure. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, my next question for you is about some of the misconceptions that exist surrounding burnout. Do you think there are some common misconceptions? Well, one main misconception that I, I've seen, at least in the workplaces here in, in, in Singapore, but I'm not sure whether you see that over where you are, is that a lot of uh, workplaces or employers think that uh, in order to attend to or take care of our staff welfare, we would just uh, we would implement certain things like um, a fruit day, you know, once a week, so where staff gets uh, like free fruit, for instance, or let's upgrade the the pantry, uh, let's put in a a coffee machine, uh, or okay, let's uh, provide some uh, lunchtime uh, programs like yoga or something like that. So I think these kind of actions, these kind of measures rest on a certain misconception that um, by providing this kind of, uh, it feels almost like tokenism, right? Little tokens um, that this is going to take care of uh, employees uh, or the staff's well-being and uh, mental health. But I think if we want to prevent burnt out, um, and if we want staff or our uh, employees to be more engaged, it has to go deeper. The, I think the onus, the burden is really on the, the workplaces, the employers to really look and be open to feedback, right? Oftentimes it's, it's about perhaps the um, unequal distribution of resources. If the um, individual feels that I'm not resourced or I cannot access resources to help me perform my work, then they are just going to be um, trying their very best and still not able to 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 squeeze out that that output that is desired, right? So that the workplace needs to be more um, supportive, more and bosses need to be more empathetic as well. So sometimes it might require even a a uh, a lateral transfer, uh, maybe a retweak of the the job itself, the portfolio, right? The job description and and things like that. So we we need to look at sustainable and lasting changes, not so much um, tokenism. And I feel that a lot of the tokenism is based on certain myths that if we do these little measures, it's going to help. It's going to prevent uh, employee burnout. It won't. Yeah, for sure. I feel like having this sort of restricted sort of vision and idea of how things get resolved without thinking about things in the long term with more of an empathetic, like you said, and more of a considered mindset about how, you know, issues like job burnout aren't just something you can fix in the moment. They're things that require, you know, time and effort and committing to helping someone over a period of time. So I think that's a really good misconception that you've brought up so we can discuss that and it also leads into my next question of how we can work to dispel these misconceptions and help people protect their productivity and their mental health 
I suppose having more conversations, right? Open conversations as well. It helps if, if you know, the the people in senior management, the bosses, the superiors themselves start talking about this, right? When yeah. they start talking about it, it removes the stigma and it removes that need to, to hide behind. So remember we talked earlier about uh, needing to spot the signs early so that it doesn't develop into something that's more severe, right? So when we have this open conversation and the culture where people can just talk about it more freely and senior management are more open to feedback, then it would lead to uh, a, a more supportive environment as well, right? And the people, the staff and the individual will feel more empowered as well. And when they're feeling more empowered, perhaps they're more willing to, to seek help and seek help early to, to avert something that, is, that will be even more serious if, it, you know, if we don't nip it in the bud. I've had cases of, I've, I've had clients who um, were experiencing burnt out um, in the workplace and to such an extent that they, they actually collapsed in the workplace and the ambulance had to be called. They had to be rushed to the emergency, um, the A&E, Accident and Emergency Room. And it's happened not once, but a few times. And But the person is, is so, still so adamant that um, they want to stay on in the job. And not quite recognizing that these are already very, very severe or serious signs of burnout. You need to do something. And, yeah. and the reason why there's this reluctance to to really take action, right? Some drastic action for the sake of preserving your health and your life. It was because the the bosses were not uh, supportive, were not uh, uh, empathetic or sympathetic, right? They continued to push a lot of KPIs and, um, you know, those kind of demands that the staff is no longer able to meet. Yeah, and, you know, tapping in on that idea of, you know, the signs and those red flags, How? what are some strategies that people can use to identify some of those early signs? Identifying the early signs of burnout, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, right, um, earlier, if, if you notice, like, your health is being affected, right, aspects of it, you notice that in terms of your emotions, like, you are getting more cynical, you're getting more irritable, and you're just getting to a point where you don't care. So be honest with yourself that, you know, and do some self-evaluation as well. And ask yourself, maybe this is what's happened to me. And I suppose if you, there is a trusted someone in the workplace, or if you don't have that trusted someone or confidant in the workplace, or someone who knows you, maybe a family member or close friend, you can ask that person as well. Do you notice any changes in me? Right? Be honest and tell me what do you think is happening? Because sometimes we just need a sounding point. We need someone to tell us. Because if we can't recognize it ourselves, we need someone who cares enough for us to tell us, yeah, I think, you know, you really need to put a break on things. You need, you really need to ring fence on things. You need to step back and reevaluate and see if you can talk to your boss or get help or you know, or maybe even consider, you know, if these changes are not possible, you might need to make a bigger change to find another job. Yeah, for sure. And based on the example you gave before, that really shows some of the extremes of what can happen if you're not dealing with and being honest with your own, you know, workplace burnout. So can we discuss some of, you know, the importance like the importance of setting boundaries and prioritizing self-care when it comes to, you know, protecting our productivity and especially our mental health when it does get to that really extreme end of things. Yeah. So I, I do see this a lot in, in my clients who, who come, you know, with a presenting issue of workplace burnout is boundaries or the lack of boundaries or boundaries which are very porous. That means, you know, they have very weak boundaries. So uh, the inability to say no. Some of us have, have this, you know, we have this issue. We can't say no. We can't yeah. say no to our bosses, right? And so we just take it on. It, and it starts to pile up and it pile up. And we can't manage. And yet we can't say no. We can't tell people that we're not managing. So being able to set boundaries is very, very important. It goes back to earlier what I 
talked about, about ring fencing, what is important to you, right? So for instance, uh, this thing about the work, work-life balance, you, if time with family is important to you, you need to ring fence it. So there might be some things that you have to communicate to your bosses, to your colleagues that, okay, for, for instance, from whatever, 7 p.m. to the next day, 7 a.m., whatever. If you contact me, you send me emails or SMS, whatever, or text, um, I will not be able to reply. I will get back to you after that, right? But during this time, I will not be contactable. Uh, this might sound like a, a, a pretty drastic uh, way of enforcing boundaries, but you know, if something is important enough to you, you need to ring fence it, the boundaries. Boundaries also mean if you da 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 da, I will da 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 da. This is what it means, boundaries. Meaning that you set out conditions and you set out um, consequences. What will happen if um, in these conditions are not respected, they are breached. So it's, yeah. and we need to do that because like you mentioned, Joanna, we need to prioritize our own selves, right? Our own self-care, that is very important. So definitely again you need to own it because no one else is going to set your boundaries for you the boundaries are yours you need to set them a hundred percent and i feel like i couldn't say that any better and sometimes it is scary to say no and set our own boundaries because we're scared of letting people down or we're scared of not living up to people's expectations when they trust us with a task and you know we can feel like we're disappointing people but at the end of the day you're the one who can do it for yourself and you're the only person who can do that for you so that's an important thing to remember yeah so this this thing about you know it just starts with the realization that ah i have this difficulty saying no right um i have this difficulty with setting boundaries so we can actually you know examine it further and ask like what you 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 mentioned why is it i cannot say no right is it because uh, i think it, it it's tied to my sense of self how i perceive myself or how i want people to perceive me or and if we keep asking ourselves and we go further and further, it might um, lead to deeper layers of self-awareness as well. Where does this come from, right? This this inability to, to say no, is it because of certain people-pleasing tendencies that we might have uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, if you're in, in a session with a therapist, there's a lot to explore. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'd love to jump into our practices and habit experiment debrief section. So with this, I'm just going to ask you some of the more everyday applications that you use to, you know, um, maintain your productivity um, and especially your kind of understanding of happiness and performance. So is there a practice that you use to help improve your understanding of emotional stability and how it affects your happiness? I think in the context of burnout and productivity um, and boundaries as well, right? The, yeah. What is important is for me at least is learning to uh, recharge. Uh, I talked about earlier about, um, you know, feeling so depleted, so drained, exhausted. So when you're depleted, you're drained, you're exhausted, what do you need to do? You just need to rest. Just like batteries, batteries need to be charged, right? So it's the same with, with us. We can't keep on running on an empty tank, right? So we need to recharge. So it could be, rest could be, it's not just about sleeping, but there are other forms of rest as well, right? There's the mental rest, there's emotional rest, and there's ways of taking care of the body. So um, one of the things that I, I do practice, and I had perhaps alluded to this earlier about mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness, and uh, specifically meditation. So um, I do practice uh, meditation. Um, I try to at least twice a day. Um, this is this is my way of recharging, basically uh, recharging my battery, setting the reset, and and bringing bringing everything to a rest, a state of rest, so that I'm not I don't feel like I'm 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 running, I'm rushing all the time. We do recognize that in life, there will be times throughout the day, right? Where we have to be very busy, we are very active, doing, doing. 
but we also need to recognize or we try to bring ourselves to a place where we rest as well. So in between the active, um, busy doing, we find periods where we can rest, we can be quiet, we give our we can find rest mentally, emotionally, physically, and this is a way of recharging so that we have the energy to go back and be active. So it's about finding that, you know, that nice little balance between. Yeah, and how do you feel like this has helped enhance your perception in life and your productivity? When I practice um, my mindfulness meditation, that time of rest, it helps me to literally catch my breath. So when you're able to pay attention to your breath, you find that you come back to a, a more balanced, a more a calmer state. And with that calmness, it gives you clarity. It helps you to feel more grounded. With clarity, with groundedness, it clears that mind. Then you're able to um, see options, right? You're, you'll be a better problem solver. Um, you'll be better present as well. You'll be more present for yourself. And in, in my line, what I do as a therapist, I'll be more present for my clients as well in sessions. And being present with whoever you're interacting with, it's family members or friends, or whatever, right? Because a lot of times we're not present. Physically, our body is here, but our mind might be somewhere already thinking about the future or regretting or ruminating the past. So it's about just bringing everything into the present moment. And uh, I find this this is something that is uh, so helpful. And I would recommend it um, to my clients in session and to anyone else who is, uh, yeah, prepared to, to just try something new. Yeah, that's really great. And how do you find time to do this? And do you set up a certain time in your day for this practice? I mentioned earlier about prioritizing, right? So it's, mm. this is something that's very important to me. So I do prioritize it. I work it in as part of my, my schedule. It's, it's, it's something like, you know, you, it's, if it's part of your ritual or your, your schedule, you need to brush your teeth, for instance, right? Uh, first thing in the day or maybe at night as well. So I work this in, this is part of my, my schedule. It's my ritual as it were. I cannot do without it. And if I don't do it, it would feel like something is off. Something just does not feel right in the day for me. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like creating a habit out of something because you know what's going to be really beneficial for your well-being um, is, can be the key sometimes to being able to do this. Or well, for me, at least, I know that if something's important enough to me, I'll make sure I'm trying my best to make it a habit. That way I know I'm actively doing something to, you know, benefit and better this certain aspect of my life. Yeah, especially a habit, right? Um, especially if it's a good habit, a healthy habit. Yeah, do more. Whatever works, do more. Yeah, and I also find that it's so weird, but all of our bad habits are so easily reinforced and they're so easy to do, but cultivating these really good habits seem to be more challenging. And it's this really interesting sort of tension between like good habits and bad habits and trying to work on those good habits instead of, you know, easily just doing those bad habits. It's like the, um, you can use the analogy of, say gardening and weeds in the garden right yes so uh bad habits are like um the unwanted plants the weeds so what do you have to do you need to uh do the weeding right you need to uproot those things that you don't want and then you don't just leave the ground as it is then you replace it with what you do want so you replace the bad habits with good habits so that your garden is not overrun by weeds but it's over but it has things that you want growing in it instead so it's a happy place for you yeah I feel like that's such a beautiful analogy and the perfect way to end off that section before we jump into our questions from the audience now I've got a couple here for you and I really love these ones I feel like we haven't touched on them yet my first one is would it be possible to experience burnout even if I love my job oh for sure if anything at all right I think um if you love your job, you you might tend to like pour so much of yourself into it and not recognize that you are already burning out, mm. right? And if anything at all, I think that's a, that's a higher risk actually. 
Because if you don't, if you're, you don't really like your job, you're not so invested in it, then you're not likely to be pushing yourself so hard. So, and you're not likely to be burning out. So yes, the answer to that question for sure. Yes. Yeah, so, I feel like when you, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to say that, but there's nothing wrong about being passionate about what you're doing. I think it's, it's, if you're passionate about what you're doing, it's such a blessing in a sense. You're very fortunate because not all of us, you know, find that passion in what we're doing, right? But as you mentioned uh, before, Joanna, it's, it's about finding that, that sweet spot, that balance. I'm passionate enough, but it's, it should not take up all of me. It's, it's, not, it's not all of my life, right? So finding that sweet spot. Yeah, for sure. And if your passions are damaging you and hurting you mentally or physically, I feel like that's when you need to do that reevaluation and assess whether or not you are doing the right things for yourself. Amazing. Well, my next question for you is, if I do nothing and just power through the burnout, will it go away by itself? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Can burnout go away by itself? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I, I see clients who, who try to power their way through, uh, burnout. And this, this, this is not to scare you, but I see clients who try to do that and they, they end up with PTSD, um, major depression, uh, some of them even suicidal. So I would not recommend powering through, um, yeah. I think if anything at all, and, and what we have been talking about, um, you, if you recognize that it's burnout, then you, you do need to take, uh, you know, a step back. It's not about powering through, right? It's, it's about that your one life that you need to preserve. You need to take care of you. You might come out of it singed, for instance, right? Yeah. But at least, um, you know, you give yourself a chance to work on your recovery. Uh, I I would not recommend powering through because how long are you gonna like try to power through? How long do you think you'll last? You know where exactly. where is your energy coming from? How are you feeling yourself? I yeah I I would not recommend that. Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's a really interesting one because there is also this concept of fake it till you make it. And I feel like a part of powering through something is sort of faking it and hoping that you'll make it. If you just keep going on, if you keep powering through that, maybe one day it'll pay off and, you know, all these things that you've been going through will, you know, no longer exist. So I feel like that could be maybe another way to look at it as well. Yeah. Because I'm a psychotherapist as well, so that's this thing about faking, faking it till we make it, um, might probably lead to, you know, issues with authenticity as well. Mm. And then, uh, then when you come to a point when you realize that, where is my authentic self? Where has it gone? Am I living a life of inauthenticity? That can lead to even. That, that can lead to a lot of psychological pain as well because you have disconnected yourself from your true self and maybe in the process of faking it, you might have also disconnected yourself from people who really matter to you as well. So yeah, so that that thing about faking, faking it till you make it is like, that's, that's very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't condone faking it until you make it. I personally try not to live by that in my life because I do agree. I feel like if you're faking something, your authenticity and your honesty with yourself and your integrity is that question, essentially. Because if you have to fake something, then is it really true to you kind of thing? Yeah. So, yeah. And can you imagine if you're in a workplace where everyone is faking it because they're hoping oh. it? <laughs> Oh my God. A workplace, you, know, you can just imagine what that workplace might be like, what kind of environment, uh, an environment full of fakes. Oh, not fakes. A hundred percent. I feel like that would just be so perplexing and that would just be possibly the worst environment to be in because it's like, who can you actually rely on and who's actually here because they want to be here kind of thing. So are you building an organization that essentially, you know, is just fake? <laughs> Or something like that. There are such places still, right? It, and yeah. they go back to our own core values as well. What what we hold dear. 
Well, I think we can finish up today's episode with our open mic section. So the floor is all yours to talk about anything that you would like to. It could be about today's topic or it could be about genuinely anything that you would like at all. So it's all on you. Okay, I suppose as a, a, a psychotherapist and a mental health practitioner, um, I'm very big on uh, mental health and, and well-being. So um, I do feel that, you know, we we will all be happier persons and we'll be in a um, happier, healthier place. If we all had more um, access to green spaces and exposure to green lighting or natural lighting. Um, so, well, this has got to do with burnout as well, because in, in part of the, the healing and how you, you, you recover from burnout, for instance, right? And how you take care of yourself in general as well. Spend more time in nature, right? And you will find that just being in nature, you start to observe life around you, right? And you start opening up um, your horizon and just allowing your senses to just come alive again. Nature can be very healing. Um, and being um, exposed to natural lighting, that means get some sun, of course, with, with uh, adequate sunscreen or sunblock, but get some sun that, that can actually improve your your mood as well. So if you want to kill a few birds with one stone, you can go and do get your jog or whatever in a park in the daytime, maybe uh, at least in Singapore, early in the morning or later in the evening, right? Not when it's too hot. Um, that way, you're taking care of your body physically, you're taking care of your your mental health as well and your well-being. So spend time in nature. I think that is so important. I mean, sometimes we spend too much time on our devices. Uh, we spend too much time, way too much time scrolling, uh, you know, uh, social media and things like that. We just need to get out, connect again with the bigger world, nature. So that's, that's something that I, I'm well, passionate about. Uh, I do feel uh, very strongly about that. And it's something that I always recommend to my clients. I see um, I see a lot of my clients improve. They feel better. They report uh, improvement in their moods um, just because they, they have spent time in nature. Yeah, I actually love that you brought up nature. I feel like it's so underrated and people are just like, oh, the outdoors, like I'll try make time for that if I have time. But um, recently I read something about forest bathing. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but um, I've never heard of it before, but it's actually a proper dedicated you know, um, way of getting out into nature. And I feel like it's just showing this sort of increasing sort of prevalence for spending time outside and the natural benefits that it has for both your physical and mental health. So I feel like it's really important that you brought that up today as well. Yeah, forest bathing actually is a form of therapy. Um, okay. Yeah, so essentially you're just going out into somewhere that's natural uh, not built up urban environment, right? Where you have a lot of greenery, trees and things like that. And you basically allow yourself to bathe in this whole experience. It can be very uh, sensorial, right? You you fully engage all your senses. You, you listen, you look, you feel. Mm, I don't know whether you can taste if you want to pop things, if it's safe to pour <laughs> things in your mouth or you can, right? And just this full immersion in, in nature helps you to come alive. It helps you to connect back to our bodies. And that's why it can be very therapeutic. Um, in, in Singapore, we, well, I suppose we, we do have our parks and, and small little uh, gardens here and there. And um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of us, we find that it's too hot to be out there and then we, we prefer to spend time indoors in the air-conditioned comfort and we're scrolling and scrolling and it doesn't help with, you know, the, the mental health and, and the well-being. But for sure, forest bathing or just having natural elements where you are, if you're in the office, you don't have the luxury of stepping out to nature or a park or whatever, green spaces, you can bring some green spaces into where you are some potted plants you can have some a terrarium take care of living things that's nature that's connecting to nature 
Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing those strategies with us and also exploring some other things we can use, you know, like getting ourselves out there in nature as well and, you know, prioritizing ourselves, which is super important. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today and having this chat with me. Thanks for having me, Joanne. No worries. And if anyone wanted to find out any more information about you, where can they go? Uh, they can just type in uh, Redwood Psychology and that just look for me and then that will bring you to the website where the practice where where I'm practicing as a psychotherapist beautiful well we've also got Joyce's information in the description below but to anyone listening thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time you have been listening to work in progress the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the life management science labs Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pp.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.